VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I honestly, I mean, look, it's really frustrating. I've gotten death threats from people who have lost money on these YouTube scams. They think I actually stole their money. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I am your host, Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times, and I come to you live during this Thanksgiving week. Gobble, gobble, etc. For our American listeners, I suggest you just throw on your headphones, and as you lovingly prepare those mashed potatoes or stuffing or apple pie or whatever it may be, throw on this episode and get lost in the future of finance. Did that work? Did that grab you? Um, anyhow, on this week's program, we have Brad Garlinghouse, who is the CEO of Ripple, which is a startup that has raised almost $300 million to focus on a problem that is near to my heart, and that is moving money around, specifically across borders. Uh, after I moved back from Britain, I spent a lot of time tracking exchange rates and sending emails and and basically paying fees to various intermediaries just to move my own money around and it often take days and days sometimes weeks it was all very frustrating but ripple reckons that they can make this all happen instantly and for virtually for free by using xrp which is a cryptocurrency like bitcoin for example so we talk with brad about how they got started how far along that journey they are um, which involves, you know, basically remaking how the whole global financial system works. So, you know, not a small deal. We also talk about why Garlinghouse sued YouTube personally and how China is quietly making this huge grab for the kind of the future of the global financial system. So there's that. And for listeners in the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, wherever you may be, no judgment if you listen to this while, you know, not making a turkey dinner and to be honest the best thing about thanksgiving is not actually the turkey it's all the other stuff but i digress and i will now hand you over to brad garlinghouse the ceo of ripple which is by some distance one of the most well-funded cryptocurrency slash blockchain companies in the world so enjoy didn't found the company, but I think it, it would be instructive if you have a couple minutes just to talk about just, you know, how how this thing came about. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, I will give a, a massive shout out to Chris Larson, who was one of the co-founders of the company and really from its inception has had this vision of an, an internet of value, of really enabling value to move the way information moves today. And thinking about the implications of that, when it's not just, okay, that sounds really nice, but like, look, if you fundamentally change how money moves, it enables things that are kind of almost weird to think about. And look, this is why I joined, to, to have this impact. Today, you know, whether if you're here in the UK, you get paid once a month. Here in the United States, you get paid twice a month. 
It sucks. I'm su- I'm still on a British payment system. I get paid once a month. It's brutal. It, it is brutal, my, right? My like, wife gets a top up. <laughs> but look, it sucks. This is you think about. It, so why is that? Well, the reason is because the friction of payroll. It's easier to not do it very often, and so we don't do it very often. Well, guess what? If you could enable fr- the friction of payments to zero, why don't you get paid every day? Amen. Now you can get paid every hour. I mean, you can literally have a, a trickle of value you know, every minute. Now that gets a little bit silly to some, you know, yeah. example. So I'm not going to go too far. But if you did get paid every day, think about all the industries that are built upon getting paid once a month. So your mortgage, your credit card payment, you pay once a month. Well, if you got paid every day, and therefore you paid some amount of value every day for your mortgage, think about how that changes what your total cost is for your mortgage. So the, the point here is our entire financial infrastructure is built upon layers of friction and you know, we've solved that in various ways with things like a monthly mortgage payment. If we can really enable value to move the way information moves today, it's going to have a lot of secondary and tertiary effects that are kind of, wow, that's, you know, you, your head's kind of, whoa, that's interesting. And, you know, micropayments are examples like what, you know, when I go to read your publication and I hit a paywall, well, I, want, I really want to read that article, but I don't want to pay 15 bucks a month if I could pay 10 cents to read the articles efficiently. But the, the founding of Ripple was all about how do we how do we enable this internet of value? And a guy like Chris Larson, I think, you know, had a, a vision for, you know, how that could play out very, very early on. So that vision of being able to pay something a little bit every day or get paid every day or whatever, just that, that free flow of money, just like bits or, you know, like at a Google search, whatever it may be. If you had to bet, and I don't know if you're a betting man, we're 2020 right now. When do you think that reality transpires? Well, there's a saying uh, in tech, I don't know who said it first, but, you know, Silicon Valley is kind of, I think, famous for overestimating what happens in five years and underestimating what happens in 10 years. Because it takes a long time to kind of get these things started, but once they start, they happen very quickly. And, you know, I I think we're already years into that journey. You know, I'll say using that time frame, I would say we're three three to four years into that journey, I think, you know, you look out six by using the 10 year measure. If you looked out six or seven years, I think people are going to be shocked at how quickly some of these changes start to happen. And it is partly because people are going to see that, look, China has invested a massive amount in this space. And I think when people start really seeing how far ahead China is and how we have unintentionally created an advantage for them, I think that there'll be a shift in kind of really accelerating some of the investment and providing a level playing field. Well, I hope so because I hate getting paid once a month. <laughs> well, I hope, <laughs> I hope we can solve that for you. And by the way, there are companies that are starting to create, you know, just like TransferWise, they're creating hacks on the system where you can get paid more often, but it's through a, a lending-like framework. But like, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And it doesn't have to hack the system. And again, why I think Chris Larson was so genius in terms of seeing it around the corner on this was to see that, look, if we can reset the rail upon all the, how all these things are built, we're going to change a lot of things about how our financial infrastructure works. We have a very tech-savvy audience, but most people still don't understand, don't really understand cryptocurrency. What is the pitch for XRP? Well, let's talk about Ripple, the company, first. I mean, the problem that Ripple, the company, is solving is enabling real-time cross-border transactions. 
So we sell technology to banks, to financial institutions, to payment providers that today, you know, leaving aside what Ripple does, when you're enabling a cross-border transaction today, you know, most people talk about SWIFT as a foundational piece that enables non-interoperable networks across borders, across currencies to settle transactions into complete payments across borders. Uh, those tend to be expensive. They tend to be slow and they tend to be error prone. And there's lots of data behind each one of those if you want to dig into it. What Ripple is doing is enabling those same institutions to use the technologies we, we provide to provide real-time settlement, which is very fast, very inexpensive, and not error-prone, you know, virtually uh, you know, error-free. You know, I, I've made the analogy many times that you know, the fastest way to move $10,000 from San Francisco to London today would be to go buy an airplane ticket at SFO and fly it there. You know, that's a crazy world when, you know, literally you can stream video from the space station and you can't actually move your own money from point A to point B. You know, I can send an email instantly. I can video, you know, I can do all these things instantly, but I, I can order ice cream, you know, an Uber, or whatever. And it can arrive very, very, very quickly, but I can't move my own money. So what Ripple is solving is the ability for financial institutions to move money in real time, very fast, very scalable, very efficiently, very inexpensively. You know, you ask the kind of you know, what problem are we solving? Like, that's the problem we're solving. In fact, one of the things I think that the whole industry could do better is to not start with the technology, but start with the problem. I think Silicon Valley is kind of Correct. guilty of this. I agree. Yeah, you know, pe people go out and they, it's, you know, talking about, hey, we, we're a crypto company, we're a blockchain company. Like, I, you know, Ripple's a crossword payments company. You know, we, we happen to use blockchain technologies. We happen to use crypto as part of our solution set. But at the end of the day, that's not... Yeah, what they're buying is a solution to a, a problem. It's just a, a different animal, if you will. So that's the reason why Ripple exists, the reason why we exist. Your XRP exists because a group of developers years and years ago were looking at all of the problems inherent to the Bitcoin blockchain and felt like, hey, if we want to enable payments, and I'm not talking about store of value, but you know, a group of engineers very early in watching Bitcoin's dynamics realized, hey, there are going to be scalability issues and there's going to be you know, throughput issues, the costs, uh, the speed, you know, and we see those today. And so at some point, very, very early on, this predates me, certainly, but it's in those very early days, they actually referred to it as Bitcoin 2.0, as a better Bitcoin. I don't think about it that way because I think, look, I own Bitcoin, I'm bullish on Bitcoin I just think Bitcoin is not going to be a payment solution given the kind of speed and cost associated with a Bitcoin transaction. Right. And so here we are at 2020, as you say, it takes, I could fly my money to San Francisco faster than I can send it, which I know very well because I still have UK accounts. I used to live in the UK. I had to do a fair amount of back and forth with money and it was always quite painful, although then I used, uh, was it TransferWise? They kind of built a better mousetrap, but it's still a bit clunky, let's say. But I think TransferWise does a nice job. TransferWise, I mean, you know, look, I, I use this expression a little bit loosely because some people take it as a pejorative, but TransferWise basically is hacking the existing system. Yeah. It, it, they didn't fundamentally rewire how the system works. What Ripple's trying to do is rewire how the system works. And it, you know, TransferWise benefits from that. Transfer, well, transfer could benefit from that the way any financial institution could benefit from that. So I, I think what TransferWise is doing is really clever and has, they've done a nice job. They built a really impressive business. 
but it's still dependent upon the existing rails. That nothing underlying that the plumbing underneath that didn't change. And Ripple has kind of said, look, if we really want to enable what we call an internet of value to allow value to move the way information moves today, you got to reset the rail. You got you to gotta step back and say, it's not going to work that way. And that's a much more audacious goal, but obviously what gets us excited. And so that sounds very complicated. <laughs> that sounds like a very heavy lift. And Ripple is, not, I mean, it's a startup, but it's not like a new, new startup. I mean, how far along that kind of continuum are you to basically replumbing the global financial system? You know, first of all, you're right. It is a really heavy lift. And it is in some ways, uh, you know, audacious to think that you can kind of rewire the global financial infrastructure. On the other hand, we find ourselves today with a global financial infrastructure that is, you know, around 50 years old. And, you know, yet here we are in 2020, still all depending upon that as the underlying cross-border solution, which as you have personal experience, having spent time living in the UK is an example. I mean, remittances are a, a kind of baseline starting point, you know, that whether you're talking about the Western unions or MoneyGrams, yeah. the way those systems work also to some degree are like TransferWise, a, a hack of the existing system because they pre-fund they pre-fund in currencies around the world, right? So they have working capital that they have placed around the world. And in some ways, that's dormant working capital because it's sitting there waiting for a payment to flow through. It's waiting to be useful. And I think what we saw from the Ubers of the world, anytime you can take a dormant asset and make it more useful, that's a good thing. Well, for us, we go to a MoneyGram and the remittance markets and we say, look, not only can we enable real-time transactions, we can actually mitigate the need to pre-fund. We can mitigate the need to put that working capital out there. And, you know, they have a capital cost. And so to the extent we can reduce their capital cost, that's a very positive thing for them. So, you know, we have seen a lot of progress. We've signed up, I don't know the exact number we publicly announced recently, but uh, in the hundreds of banks and hundreds of financial institutions that have signed up. But in terms of using XRP, we've, I think, publicly talked about over two dozen customers uh, who are using XRP in one way or another because they they have high capital costs and they don't want to pre-fund. The CEO of MoneyGram just talked about it on his earnings calls, about the, the efficiency they are seeing mitigating the need to pre-fund. And if they don't have to pre-fund, then that helps their balance sheet for sure. So you've been at this tech thing for a while. So you're from uh, Kansas, I, quite I, literally. I Is that correct? Rock Chalk Jayhawk. <laughs> uh, so you are no longer in Kansas. You're not in Kansas anymore. You're at AOL, you're at Yahoo. How did you end up here? Why did you decide that this was a thing? Having been through that first wave of the internet and all the excitement, the ups and the downs uh, of that, and here we are, why crypto? Of all the things that you could be working on in the tech world, why this? Well, look, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, one is I've always kind of enjoyed being on the leading edge, hopefully not the bleeding edge. You know, the first job I took in Silicon Valley in 1997 was a company called the At-Home Network. The At-Home Network was the first company to roll out cable modems, which of course is also making me sound very old. The reason why I tell you that story is I, a number of cases in my career, I've been on kind of the, the cutting edge of new technologies. And you know, I, I thoroughly kind of enjoy what is possible. You know, I, there's a kind of famous Steve Jobs-ism statement of, you know, we all want to put our little debt in the universe. And, you know, for me, uh, 
I've always been kind of attracted to next generation technologies, I think could put a dent in the universe. And I think what you're seeing with crypto is certainly an example of that. Now, when I say crypto, I also sometimes just mean blockchain and, you know, you don't always, they're not always fully interchangeable, but I think the way blockchain technologies can and will impact lots of different transactions, you know, cross-border payment transactions or Ripple has started, but there's lots of examples of how that I think will play out. And for Ripple, it's just, we started with cross-border transactions, but certainly we'll do other things. So that's just kind of, I've been in Silicon Valley a long time. I've seen a lot of interesting opportunities in Silicon Valley. I think blockchain and crypto is just a next generation of technologies, not that dissimilar than the earliest days of the internet. I mean, it feels very similar to me as it did in kind of .com 1.0. Don't miss out on our flash sales. Subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times with 50% off for six months. That's five zero. Sale ends Monday, November 30th at midnight. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley so that they know that I sent you. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Well, on that point, you know, we're far, far removed from 1.0. And I'm, I'd love to get your take on Twitter, for example. I know you've had some issues with them. I don't know if you could explain what happened and their response, because obviously they have been very much in the spotlight, along with all these social media companies, around how they govern themselves because they've become these huge utilities and i imagine in a way what you are ultimately going to try to become is another utility that is used by seen or unseen by lots of nodes throughout the world i was just wondering if you could just talk about your experience and what happened and what you're thinking about how they run their shop yeah well i'm going to answer not as specifically to twitter as more generically kind of some of the platform companies out here in Silicon Valley, I, I don't mind talking about Twitter specifically. I just don't think they're, unfortunately, I don't think they're that unique. 
you know, the, <laughs> sorry, I came off a little harsher than I meant. Meaning like, no, it's true. I, I mean, it's, it's not, you're not wrong. Okay. Well, I guess but my point is in some ways far afield from crypto, but as a 23 year veteran of Silicon Valley, you know, I've seen the ups, I've seen the downs. And I think in general technology and Silicon Valley has had an incredible impact on the world in lots and lots of positive ways. But there's a very big but. It is really, I think, disingenuous for Silicon Valley not to embrace and acknowledge that in some ways these technologies have had unintended consequences and have been used in you know, what I'll just generically call abusive ways. And I think a number of these platforms, which I, of which I would include Twitter, frankly, YouTube has gotten more attention from me. I sued YouTube personally. Ripple has sued YouTube for their willful choice to ignore some of the abuses of their platform, which harms ultimately end users of the platforms, but also harms the brands that are taken advantage of. So, so why did you sue them? Well, people are, uh, use YouTube to impersonate me. They, they create channels saying this is a Brad Garling house. And then they say, oh, Brad Garling house and Ripple are doing XRP giveaways. And you know, send me $500 of XRP and I'll send you $2,000 worth of XRP back. It's a kind of ver- a variation of the Nigerian prince. Yeah, it, it, these are all of them. Or the, or the, <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, the difference though, and this is a really important difference to use that, that <laughs> characterization. The Nigerian prince is not relying upon any validation other than just saying through email that that's who they are, right? You don't have, when you receive yeah. that email on Gmail or an Outlook or on whatever email platform you choose to use, you have no validation that that's who that, that person is who they say they are. Yeah. In this case, YouTube, you know, you go to YouTube and you see a picture of Brad Garline House. It says it's Brad Garline House, and you even have had some examples where they have verified accounts that have been hacked, and they have replaced those verified accounts. So it has the verification mechanism, you know, a, the equivalent of a checkbox, and it, and it says, "Hey, Brad Garline House has a verified account on YouTube." is doing this giveaway. And so people think, oh, it really is Brad Garlinghouse. It's not the Nigerian prince. It's like, no, no, no. YouTube has validated this person is who they say they are. And you know, the, the reason why we ultimately sued YouTube, I sued YouTube and Ripple sued YouTube is because we would notify them of this and they would take weeks, months to take these things down. And I honestly, I mean, look, it's really frustrating. So I've gotten death threats from people who have lost money on these YouTube scams. They think I actually stole their money. They actually think that like they sent their money to me because on YouTube, it looks like they did send it to me. And, you know, I think this is an example where YouTube has an obligation to proactively screen and to mitigate that because that's their platform is being abused in a way that is you know bad for the world. And I think they should need to own that and not, you know, my ultimate complaint is that, look, even when notified, they, they don't act particularly quickly to do anything about it which is even more frustrating. But you know, Twitter, your question up front, look, there's lots of examples of this on Twitter as well. I think all of these platforms, you know, we haven't talked about Facebook and Instagram. One of my personal favorites, just because this is kind of a long form discussion, years ago, before I ever used Instagram, someone was impersonating me on Instagram. And the only way to report that is to log into your own Instagram account and report that someone's impersonating you. So I had to reset my password. I got in there and I, I finally get into the, my Instagram account. And I report, okay, this one's a fraudulent account. And I get a message back from Instagram saying, you know, thank you for reporting this. We take it very seriously. We've determined this is not an impersonation. 
<laughs> it's just like, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, anyway, they, they wouldn't take down the other account. And then I tweeted it out. You can go back in my Twitter history and I tweeted out a screenshot yeah. of the account and what I posted. And uh, they finally did take it down after I brought a lot of attention to it. But I think ultimately Silicon Valley needs to be part of the solution because they've been part of the problem. Why do so many people impersonate you? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> that, re- that requires interesting speculation. I don't know. I mean, I, I, look, at the end of the day, uh, people are motivated by money. And the, the Nigerian fake prince scam is about money. And in many cases, yeah. this is about money. Now, in some cases, it's about other things as well. But look, I, I think that if I think about like, we, we just need to acknowledge the problem understand the problems there. I think one of the things going on in the crypto community right now as an extension of this is people are trying to pretend that China doesn't control Bitcoin. Because of the, that's where all the mining operations are. Well, so there's something called a 51% attack. And if someone controls more than 50% of the mining power, they can control the future direction. They control even the faster, the past events of a blockchain. And you know, you've got some, somewhere, depending on what numbers you look at, you know, around 70% of mining capacity of the Bitcoin blockchain is in China. Now, the Chinese Communist Party has been incredibly strategic in how they have approached crypto. And, you know, I, I think they are clearly focused on dominating this technology. I think as a U.S. citizen and frankly, a global citizen, you know, I, I think we saw the concerns around the race for 5G network infrastructure and I think we are in the process of repeating that mistake in what I think is a battle over kind of the future global financial infrastructure and future global payments. Well, that's really that's a really interesting point. So I used to cover energy resources, commodities, et cetera. And probably 10 years ago, there was a whole flurry of stories around rare earth minerals and how China controlled all of these, the mining of all of these very rare or hard to get minerals that were used in all kinds of electronics, all the kinds of stuff that we use to power our modern life. And then, as you say, it's kind of spread to other industries. So that gets to the really interesting question. Is this the future? Whether it's Bitcoin or XRP or just more broadly blockchain, is blockchain the future of the financial infrastructure of the world? I mean, is it, and is that something that you believe or is that something that because you run this company? Or is it something that more people believe? In other words, you know, we should be actually getting really worried about this. Yeah, a whole bunch of good questions there. I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend that I'm completely objective. <laughs> I am the CEO of Ripple, if not the leading blockchain company, you know, one of the leading blockchain companies. So I won't pretend that I am completely objective on this topic. However, I have zero doubt in my mind that blockchain technologies are going to have an impact on lots of transactions because we can make them faster, cheaper, and more efficient, over time that will win. And I, I think we have seen like digital assets, Bitcoin, XRP, they are here to stay. They have been through a lot. And I think, you know, those who believe they're just gonna, you know, <laughs> I was gonna make a comment about those who asserted that uh, COVID was just gonna go away. They're not, it's not just gonna go away. It, it, there's digital assets are, <laughs> are here to stay. And so, yeah. you know, again, my objective Probably not, but I think there's lots and lots of people who would agree with this. And, and I think, frankly, the Chinese Communist Party agrees with this. And it's a reason why they have been focused on dominating these technologies. China is well ahead of where we are here in the United States. And, it, you know, one of the dynamics there is the regulatory frameworks that are enabling that. 
you know, the, the clarity and there's lots of governments around the world who have been super clear about this, you know, Japan, UK, Switzerland, Singapore, you know, major economies have been super clear and provided regulatory clarity that hasn't really happened here in the United States. And that has helped Bitcoin for sure. And by extension, that has helped China. And it has hurt things like those who are interested in leveraging a more efficient technology platform like the XRP ledger. So I, I think I think it is super important. I think we should acknowledge it. We should be clear about it. And the first step is in admitting the problem, then you can solve it. And then if we don't admit it, then it's just going to kind of you know fester until one day we're going to wake up and the front page of whichever publication you <laughs> happen to be reading is going to talk about we lost the 5G race. But it's instead it's going to say we, you know, we, we lost the blockchain race. We lost the digital asset crypto race. And China, you know, as I said earlier, China is, I think, leaving others in the dust right now. Does that matter, though, if the idea is that it is decentralized and no one controls it? But, but that's just it. Is it actually, if 70% of mining is controlled in China, do we really, <laughs> I mean, look, the Chinese Communist Party yeah. delayed the largest IPO in history because they wanted to, to make a point. So is it actually, yeah. I mean, when you say it's decentralized, like, really? Do we not believe these Chinese miners aren't subject to the Chinese Communist Party desires? I mean, no. <laughs> Look, it, it was just over a year ago that Premier Xi said that China should embrace blockchain technology and they have been heavily invested in this space. So I, I think it's very clear. You know, we, we can debate whether or not are these bets correct, right? When it, when 5G was kind of the, the race for 5G was being fought three or four years ago, did we know 5G was going to win? Maybe not, you know, and people made bets anyway. So is it possible that we're wrong about crypto, wrong about blockchain? Of course, we're possible. that could be right. But are we willing to take that risk where we see China investing so aggressively and putting themselves at a, you know, a very strong position? Is that the risk we're comfortable taking? Right. And for those who don't know, the, the mining is, you know, basically vast computer power that is able to solve these problems that unlock the next piece of the blockchain. And, and that is what you're talking about. Right. right? The, the miners are the masters. They can rewrite history. They can block transactions. You know, look, it, it, I mean, this is a, a hypothetical example, but let's just say that someone very senior in the Chinese Communist Party lost, somebody hacked them, lost $200 million of Bitcoin. What do we think is going to happen? I mean, or even let's say the Chinese Communist Party happens to have invested in Bitcoin. And that get there's some sort of event that means they have lost that. Do we not think that the Chinese Communist Party can apply control over the Bitcoin blockchain? You know, I'm just I'm pointing out a reality that I think we should embrace and acknowledge that reality. What we want to do with it, we can debate. But it is the case, and as, to me, as I look at this as a you know as a U.S. as a CEO of a U.S. company, a proud U.S. company, we need clear regulations here. You know, if we want people to invest not just in the Bitcoin blockchain, but also the XRP ledger, then we need that clarity. And, you know, so far, unfortunately, the U.S. government has put their hand. It's not even an even playing field. right? We've done things to advantage Bitcoin and disadvantage XRP. All Ripple really is looking for as a CEO of Ripple. All I'm looking for is a level playing field. I'm not asking for the U.S. government to help us. Right. I'm asking them to not hurt us. And you, you mentioned being a proud U.S. company. Are you going to uh, relocate? You know, look, I, I really wish this wasn't a consideration. We want more than anything to maintain 
headquarters in the United States. I mean, as you commented earlier, I'm a Kansan. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I view myself as a, a, a proud U.S. citizen and a proud U.S. company. Uh, but the U.S. really hasn't been very pro innovation when it comes to crypto. I think it's clear that Ripple has been hmm. has tried to work very closely with regulators globally. And I think you know we have been you know without question people would say oh you know Ripple has been a good actor in that space. But you know right now we don't have a level playing field, and so if we need to move to another country to get that, then that's the path we'll have to take. Right? I have a fiduciary responsibility to my shareholders, and if our ability to operate successfully in the United States, you know, if we have one hand tied behind our back here in the United States, then we may have to look at all right that there there are other environments like the UK. And again, well, I'm not talking about, some people say, oh, well, they want to go based in, in, you know, some random jurisdiction that the, you know, the Isle of Man, you know, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm talking about the UK is, is I don't know, the fourth, third or fourth largest economy in the world. Japan, I think is the second or third, third largest economy in the world. Singapore, obviously, you know, these are not random countries that I, I'm saying, you know, the US is really out of sync with other global markets. And if we want people to invest in fintech, we want people to invest in these technologies here in the United States, then there needs to be that clear framework. And I know you're short on time, but can you just explain what, how is your hand being tied behind your back, regulatorily speaking, versus, you know, if you were in London or somewhere else? So yesterday I was on a phone call with the CEO of a, a financial services company. And, you know, he's saying, hey, look, I, I would love to work with you guys, but we can't use what Ripple calls on-demand liquidity, we're not going to use that until there's clarity about how XRP is going to be regulated because we don't want to be on the other side of any regulatory dynamics from the U.S. government. There is a lack of clarity right. about how the U.S. government looks at XRP. I mean, frustratingly, there was a report from the Department of Justice just a few weeks ago talking about the various oversight of crypto. And it talked about eight different regulatory frameworks. Some people look at XRP as a commodity. Some people look at a virtual currency. Some people look at it as property. The Securities Exchange Commission has not yet said anything about what is XRP, despite having said more than two and a half years ago, they said Bitcoin's not a security. So if let's say you're a developer, you know, Danny's development shop, and you're thinking about developing some new capability that uses crypto. Yep. Would you choose to build on top of a technology where there is clarity or would you choose to build on top of a technology where there's not clarity? Even if the XRP ledger is way cheaper, faster, more scalable, which one are you going to pick? And that is, in fact, what's happening, right? So what happens is developers, investors, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, they make a decision. And if there's uncertainty, that's not good. If there is certainty, that is good. And so I think there's, there's a real need and opportunity. I will say as just a kind of a plug, legislation like what's called the DCEA Act, Digital Commodity Exchange Act, it can really bring the U.S. to equal footing and it can enable and provide clarity where... And is that a proposal? That's a proposal at the moment? It was submitted into the last congressional, uh, what do they call it? Cycle or whatever. Yeah. I it, it was submitted as a bill. Uh, it went to committee. You know, we obviously have had an election. It, it'll have to be resubmitted. But it does have bipartisan support. And I think you know, we certainly at Ripple are getting behind mm -hmm. it. It provides the clarity that we need. It's the clarity that we've already heard from the, Depart the Department of Justice and FinCEN as part of the U.S. Treasury. They have already made it clear that they view XRP as a currency. 
And so again, it's not, it's not like we're asking something, you know, like, Oh, you're going to change your mind. It's like, no, no, no. You already have big parts of the federal government that have said this, but we need clarity more broadly in order to get customers to say they're going to use this without risk of, you know, regulatory dynamics that they don't want to deal with. Right. And then lastly, and I'll let you go, has COVID slash Donald Trump slash the general meltdown of the world as we know it been good for you guys or blockchain more broadly? Because it does feel like that is always one of the undercurrents of when there's these moments of clarity around what blockchain can be. It often coincides with the world falling apart in one way or another. Yeah, look, I think as we have seen, there's a lot of macro technology trends that pre-existed COVID that were accelerated because of COVID dynamics. Some things that have helped us are things like the migration away from cash towards an all digital payment stack is net good for Ripple for sure. And it has created definitely pressure at boardrooms, at you know C-level, C-suite offices to say, hey, what are we doing with on this front and that has accelerated some contracts. As I said up front, I think net net, it's very good for crypto overall when you're seeing these inflationary dynamics of other assets that people want to hold non-inflationary assets and that's good for crypto overall. So in some ways, I think it's been very good for Ripple. Now, on the other hand, has it caused some friction for us? For sure. And, you know, when we've got 500 and change employees around the world and, you know, working remotely, there's certain things that we are trying to learn and do better. I, I, our team has been incredible during this experience and they've exceeded my expectations, but let's not pretend it's not different and hard. And, you know, frankly, we're selling software to banks and financial institutions, and we used to go and sell it in person. And that's how they're used to buying. Uh, over half of the contracts we sold in Q3 were sold without any in-person touch. Weird. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, that, that's weird for our sales team and getting used to that. It's weird for the buyers to get used to that. But, you know, I, I think when you're selling something that people value and helps address a real problem that people care about, people are still buying because it's actually, it's solving a real problem. Well, Godspeed. I wish you luck. Thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Brad for taking the time to speak and to thank you all for listening. I can't believe it's almost December. It's been yet another year, which is what a year it's been. My goodness. Anyhow, thank you, as always, for listening, for your ratings, for your reviews, for your comments, for your emails. And occasionally, I get a little money transfer, not using XRP, but it still lands in my account from that ACAST pay for podcast feature, which is amazing. So thank you for doing that. I really do appreciate it, whomever you are. Anyhow, I am off this week, like I said, but I will be back next week with another pod as usual. So anyhow, if you're in America, enjoy the holidays. Please stay safe. If you're elsewhere, please stay safe. And please, of course, stay sane in these crazy times. I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you thanks to the support of readers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot 
is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.